where we discuss your favorite indie flicks and genre television. I am your host, Lydia, and this is my co-host. Joseph. Hey, hi, how are you? <laughs> I knew if I didn't say it, you would just jump in with it. But yeah, how are you? Uh, no, I'm good. Um, you know, especially because we're not long distance <laughs> right now. I'm yeah, here I'm... in person with my podcast bestie. Yeah, I'm at Lydia's place. Living here for a bit, you know? Yeah, living in my teeny tiny oh, one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. It's just in a, you know, terrifying basement. And okay, that makes it out. sound way scarier than it is. I live in a brownstone, like... Horrifying? Is that the... It did used to be a um, residency for nuns. Right, I remember you so telling So, probably is haunted. But it's like a Catholic haunting, so it'll be mostly <laughs> guilt that you get out of it, oh, not good. like... Yeah, the, the proper you know. kind of haunting. Yeah, a lot of Catholic guilt, I would imagine. <laughs> Maybe no witch trials, who knows? The 20s. I don't know, the Catholic Church is probably secretly holding witch trials, you know? Oh, maybe. That, I wouldn't put it past them. They still do exorcisms, so not that probably often. Some, but... some mental health concerns that were probably not handled well. Oh, yeah, I believe that. Yeah. I mean, look oh, at yeah, that. see that whole, like, the, the whole, um, like ecstasy thing or like they have their own they what? You know, like like vision not not the drug. Like <laughs> visions and stuff like that. They have visions of God and all this stuff and it's like Oh a, yeah. Like some yeah. of them became saints, some of them probably not so good stuff happened to them. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's true. Or they got exercised, which is not yeah. great. Plus, I mean Ireland has the whole Madeline laundry thing. I don't know that. No, not Madeline, Magdalene. Um it's send like young unwed mothers to be to the Magdalene laundry and they'd have their children and then their children right. would get stolen from them and either adopted out or murdered. Um Fun. so I think all over Ireland they found 9000 ba- dead babies oh my God. buried under these Madeline or Magdalene laundries. It's the same issue we're dealing with here with the resident res- residential schools, not the same issue, but yeah. it's a very similar issue that's cohesive among yeah. the like Catholic Church. Catholic Church. Yeah. Very much follows the same lines. <laughs> um, Starting off strong with the positive. Yeah. Positive I mean, information. Yeah. We've been, and yeah, we've been like chatting like all weekend already together. And yeah, I think we're both pretty doom and gloomy about the, the world sometimes. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to doom and gloom about. There's a lot of wonderful things that happen in the world too. But, you know, we're both like in our 30s. Neither of us are probably ever going to own a home in our lives. Yeah. Like, yeah, you we know. were talking about that. So. And that, yeah, and that's that's less serious of an issue than, you know, the fact we were talking about, like, you know, climate change and Well, yes, yeah. Dying. Dying. <laughs> well, yeah. I know. Not that I would have wanted to die young, but objectively it would have been cooler to die like a really cool, fun party girl mm-hmm. than, like, now as a depressed, single, 30-year-old oh office worker. <laughs> <laughs> Although I guess dying in a climate disaster would be neat. You know, definitely get into the history books that way. So why don't we just jump right into the media we've consumed? Sure. What have you been watching? I forget. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Sounds about right. I have it in a note. Nope, that's my grocery list. Um, Ooh, okay. So 
with my mother. Oh. I uh, I was at my parents' place last week, maybe, and we were watching a independent horror movie on okay. Shutter because mm-hmm. I still pay for that, even though I don't use it very frequently. Mm-hmm. So we watched a new one. It's an Irish horror film. Okay. Uh, called The Boys from County Hell. <laughs> yeah, it's um. So it's it's sort of using the old old Irish lore of um like a vampire. It's the first vampire story that's historically recorded, and it's from Ireland. Okay. Wow. Um, and I can't pronounce the Gaelic name. Right. So I'm not gonna try, <laughs> despite the fact that I am an Irish citizen. Not good at Gaelic, but yeah, it's older than. Uh, Dracula, and it's the, a lot of people assume influence for Dracula because Bram Stoker was Irish. Okay. So it's, it starts off about this lore of this old vampire and he's essentially returning because they've disrupted the cairn, which is like his headstone. Mm -hmm. Cairn is a headstone. Doing road work. I thought this was going to be like a serious horror movie Mm -hmm. steeped in like old Irish folklore, like uh, the Changeling movie that I watched forever ago at uh, the Toronto After Dark Film Festival, which is another Irish horror movie. But it ends up being a lot more Shaun of the Dead-esque, but vampires instead of zombies. Worked tremendously for me, though, because it's Mm -hmm. a very similar humor to Shaun of the Dead, like British humor, Irish humor. It's all very similar. It's very dark and, like, dry and sarcastic and stuff. Super, super fun. Highly recommend it. It's not... Super high budget. It's very clearly independent. It's filmed in a few different areas of, of Ireland. And the production company is actually Northern Irish. But the lore and everything that they're using is Republic of Irish Irish. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of a mix in regions and in accents and stuff. So that I don't know if that's going to bug people from the Republic or not. But it's a warning. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. It's really, really funny and interesting. And there is some like old Celtic lore mixed in. So that's really interesting. And I just genuinely recommend it. There's a lot of awesome independent content, um, foreign independent content that you can find on on Shudder. And right. this is a really great new gem that came out this year. I, uh, I ended up, you know, during my freelance writing thing, I was writing this thing about neopaganism mm. and uh the different types and one that i really didn't know about for example was like shamans and how big of a thing especially amongst like working people like uh like office people there's like this whole neo-shamanism thing yeah some, okay. some it's it's like with buddhism you know and how like those like top tech people did it yeah there's this other like thing of well, like shamanism. what was the what was the um sect of judaism with like the little red string oh, kabbalah? Where, yeah yeah kabbalah or kabbalah or whatever but yeah, so one I was looking into was, and this is sort of sad, but it's about like how Celtic lore and Celtic paganism is like going a bigger thing. But it it turns out there's so much hoaxes and like fake information out there because mm. the actual lore we have of it is like very scattered and, and scholars don't really know what to do with it. One of the like famous ones, for example, is that we're pretty sure now that the Stonehenge wasn't built by the Celts. The Celts came a thousand years after it was built. Okay. So it was by a previous people like a previous indigenous people who then interbred with the Celts once they came over. So they in a way feel Celtish to us, but they wouldn't have known about Druids or any of that right. um, pagan heritage. So they're like some of these most famous icon- iconic things that are used in, uh, you know, all these books being put out or all these fun things being put out about Celtic stuff. It's, it's just a mess. Whereas honestly, a lot of other neo-pagan stuff, there has been at least a little bit of scholarship done and people have some yeah. connection to things. But uh, I found that fascinating. I had no idea about any of that yeah. stuff. And, and again, I only just read 
you know, a few articles about it and whatnot. But I was yeah. surprised that it's like, people are like, yeah, it's pretty sketch, pretty sketch out there. I didn't know that. I mean, I grew up on like old Irish folk tales and mm-hmm. urban legends and stuff like that. Like all of the books that I got when I was a little kid, the little like chat books and stuff right. were about old Irish folklore and Celtic folklore, which I found really interesting. Not on this vampire. Um, so right. I had no idea that the oldest recorded no, I story of vampires is Irish. Mm-hmm. Like I had no idea about that. I'm sure there are older cultures that had vampire mythology, but they yeah. didn't have written record at right. the time. So the oldest like written record of that is Irish, which I find super fun and interesting. But yeah, I watched, as I've been doing a lot during the last few months, I watched things with my mom too. So we went and finished the second season of Succession, and it oh, was okay. equally incredible. I mean, this show, um, well, j- so I'll just do the quick rundown in case you didn't watch the episode where I talked about the first season of Succession. So Succession, I like to liken it to like modern day Game of Thrones because it's about a Oh, yeah, big, it's like a dynasty. Yeah, it's a dynasty, big media company, and everyone is after that CEO top spot. Yeah. And it's uh, Logan Roy, this guy who has made this you it's basically the disney fox conglomerate is the is the company here where they just own a mass amount of media mass amount of news you know worth billions and billions and billions and uh his four kids are each vying for the top slot and then as you go through there's other people in the company who are also vying for the slot yeah okay and so season one is about him getting uh logan getting a stroke and everyone being like so who's gonna take over right so season two now, like basically the, the top slot is still being fought for. It's still very contentious. And the kids in particular are each really have set up different sort of strategies to take their place. And so season two is about them each doing it. But season one ends with the main candidate. You could say comparing it to Game of Thrones, the um, oh, not Jon Snow. Who is the oldest? Rob. Rob, yeah, um, Rob Stark, the, the, there's the Rob Stark character had his sort of moment where he was ruined in the season one and his top slot, everyone's like, oh, wow, he's not the best candidate anymore. Right. And so now everyone else is like really trying to take over that power vacuum. And it's just, look, it's all white people. It's all rich people. <laughs> and season two actually highlights more how Republican they actually are too, oh, okay. which kind of makes it grosser from that standpoint. Yeah. But the actual dynamics of these characters is just... It's so good. I just cannot believe it. Like every episode I watch, it feels like watching like two movies. It's just so much richness, so much good plot twists, rich characters. And my mom loves it too. I love, I love that she loves watching so many of these like very serious shows with me. (laughs) It just feels like such a good use of time because I can't, it's hard to binge because these are just such, it's, I was the same with me and Game of Thrones. I don't know the people who get binge Game of Thrones, how you do it, because yeah. there's just so much happening every single episode. And Agreed. just, there's so much of a journey to go on. And so season two ends incredibly, but it ends in a way that feels like it's going to continue. So I'm really hoping that the show is continuing from there. I think it started around 2017, 2018. So I feel like it could be still continuing. Maybe it's just delayed because of um, COVID and stuff. COVID. Yeah. But it's really hard to talk about any of the specific plot lines season two without giving away stuff from season one. But yeah, another thing we talk about is like, they're so good with locations. Like every episode, they're like, we're going to Venice. We're going to oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a great one. This one was they go to like one of these um, giant log cabin things that like all the tech people go to like this oh, tech God. retreat. And they're all like, we're doing a hiking and we're doing, yeah. you know, all it's this like stuff the together. Thing, the yeah. And it's hiking. so, oh, it's just so well done. And just, 
it's just great because most of it is just talking heads do, doing plants with each other. Yep. So to have locations, to have beautiful clothing, to have it makes it more stuff, it dynamic. Just, yeah, you just get this sense of like, oh, I just love it. And the compromises of ethics is just like, that's one of my favorite things in media, right? Where it's like each character, and same with Game of Thrones, right? Each character is really dealing with what is my core values and how can those core values get me to the top slot and how much am I willing to compromise right. to really do it? And in here, it's the family dynamics of them all coming together and believing in them, each other and protecting each other as family versus the, the absolute buying. Whereas in Game of Thrones, each family tended to protect each other for the most part, not always, but you know, with the Lannisters, for example, like even though the father had problems with all the kids, right? He was always about like keeping the family together and doing it. That's the exact kind of dynamic. It's not like the Starks in which they were all trying to, they all loved each other and were completely, for the most part, trying to help each other. Here it's that that duality of both hating and vying for each other's positions, but also being like, you know, we did grow up together. We did yeah. do it. And it's just, uh, it's so beautifully done. But it sucks in another way that like as a leftist, Republicans and white people, and it's, it's a lot. So <laughs> there's a. I mean, is it critical of them though, or does it paint? I mean, them I mean as yeah, like, like the right way. No, they they this? all think they're evil. Like okay. they all think what they're doing. Like in a way, a lot of the characters are liberal. They're just they know that their company isn't, and right. they're just like, what do we do about it? It's 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 tricky, and I don't think it's a real look into how Republican families actually act. I feel like they actually do believe in those values more. This family is like except for the father, basically none of them really believe in it. They're just like, this is the business. Yeah. This is what works. Right. I see what you mean. But yeah. Mayor of Easttown and that one have been like just such amazing experiences recently. God, so Mayor of Easttown was so good. good. Yep. On a lesser note, <laughs> I watched Sex Life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which has been hugely popular on yeah. Netflix since it came out. And, like, look, I think it genuinely has the same curb appeal to, like, middle-aged, repressed white moms as Fifty Shades of Grey did. And mm. I think that's why it's so popular. Like, it really is made for that demographic. It's not good. It's very bingeable. It's very watchable. It's very smutty and fun. But, like, if you really dig into the characters, it's got problems. Basically, it's about this middle-aged woman... Billy. Uh, she's married. She's got a kid or two kids now. And she really does have a very idyllic life. Her husband mm -hmm. is wonderful. He's a very hard worker. He's great with the kids, takes an active role in parenting. So it's not all on her. Um, they have this beautiful, beautiful house in the suburbs. Everything on paper looks perfect. But she's longing for the moments in her life when she was younger, when she was still in her PhD psychology program, which she ended up having to leave when she got pregnant the first time mm -hmm. around. When she was younger, she was partying and having fun, very carefree sexually. And now that she's married, has two kids, her husband works all the time. She's a stay-at-home mom. She left her PhD program, never got her career off the ground. Um, she did teach for a while, but left that when she had her second kid um, to spend time at home. There's nothing wrong with any of these choices. But she's feeling like aspects of her life had to be hidden or dismissed yeah. to make this work. And her husband isn't particularly sexual anymore with her. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't even necessarily have that sort of outlet for her you know, passions or emotions or intensity either. 
So she starts writing in her journal about her experiences when she was younger oh. and her, yeah, and, and her like previous boyfriends and sexual partners. And she ends up focusing on this one previous ex-boyfriend that she had a very tumultuous relationship with. It was a lot of like on again, off again. They were very toxic at different points to each other, but it was like super passionate and super like sexual and loving in a very different way than she is with her husband. She tries to start picking up a passion with her husband and he's just like disinterested. Um, He's always focused about work or just wants to watch TV and like, There's even a scene where she's trying to be sexual with him and he can't take his eyes off a football game. And I think in a lot of ways that feels very true to form for long-term relationships. You kind of get into these different periods of time where it's a little bit of a rut or you're in a little bit of different mindsets about what you want. It's not that her husband is a bad person, but they've sort of got different mindsets at this point and it comes off like he's almost disinterested in her. Like he doesn't really want her to go back to work or support her going back to school. He wants her to be like the stay-at-home wife like yeah. all of his friends' uh, wives are. Um, he wants to be like the provider. It's And it's just not what she wants, but she also doesn't speak up about that. So she uses her journal as this outlet. Mm-hmm. He reads the journal. Oh, okay. And it's filled with her descriptions of like the most idealized versions of what it was like with her ex-boyfriend yeah. and not talking about any of the really hyper toxic moments that they had together. So he thinks that she's longing to be with this person. Mm-hmm. So he starts almost using her journal as a manual, trying to like fix their oh, life. Oh, okay. And starts recreating these like sexy moments uh-huh. that she had with this boyfriend And she realizes very quickly what he's doing because it's like note for note. And at first she thinks it's great, but then it starts almost coming up, like coming across as like borderline violently possessive in the way that he's doing things. And he's never, Mm -hmm. he never quite does it the same way that this old boyfriend did. So she's like, what are you, like, this isn't what I want. This isn't what I want from you. And then he gets angry and they get in these arguments and fights. And then the ex-boyfriend comes back into the picture because he still knows her best friend who is single Mm -hmm. and they still know each other because they work in similar scenes and he admits he's still in love with her and he starts sort of like inching his way in and in in different (laughs) like very inappropriate ways realistically both men in this equation aren't great options in my opinion they're both like both relationships aren't supremely healthy and on paper, her husband looks amazing. And on paper, her ex-boyfriend looks like an absolute dirtbag. But when you dig into the elements of these relationships, both of them are so selfish and themselves first mm-hmm. in the relationship. And what they want and the perception that they want to give off to the world is what's more important. So it's it's like you're supposed to, at certain points, root for her husband and them fixing the relationship But, like, realistically, the entire time I was watching the show, I was like, get a divorce. You both hate (laughs) each other. Like, you respect each other as people, but you are not in love. This is, like, not a good marriage. Neither of you are happy. You both want to cheat at different points. And then her ex-boyfriend is just, like, was a man-child through their entire relationship and finally dealt with, like, his emotional baggage and trauma. And it's like, I'm a better person now. I can be what you deserve. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know, like, I'm so sorry for everything that happened in the past, but she's still 
married and clearly tells him no over and over again and is trying to make the marriage work. And he does things like FaceTimes her while he's having sex with her best friend. Oh, my God. And, like, proposes to her outside of her house where her husband is. And it's like, well, you haven't learned. They both are terrible. So when you get to the end of the show, and I don't mind spoiling it because it's a very obvious narrative, Mm. she's like sort of repaired her marriage and she's made this big decision that what she really wants and the reason she's having this midlife crisis is that she like wants to go back into her PhD program. She feels like she lost a huge part of herself when she left and never went back. Mm. So she decides to go back. He's at work. They're super happy. They fix their friendships that they damaged along the way. They're like having sex more often. They're very passionate about each other. And then she's at like a thing for her kid and realizes it's still not enough. Mm -hmm. So she leaves, runs through New York, through Manhattan, very sex in the city style to her ex-boyfriend's loft, gets up there and she, what she says is i'm still not leaving my husband oh my god and he's like okay and she's like now fuck me oh my god and i'm like so the answer to your problem is that you just like so selfishly think you deserve to have both and i don't have a problem with non-monogamy even Mm -hmm. if that was like the whole point of this and they decided like mutually to have an open marriage i think there would be a really cool conversation about like what marriage can be for Mm -hmm. some couples. But they don't do that. She is still actively cheating on her husband with this man who is like vehemently and passionately in love with her. So nobody is getting what they want but her. Yeah. Um, The husband now doesn't trust her to such a degree that he's tracking her phone and knows that she's there. So he immediately calls the woman that he was going to cheat on her with. Get a divorce. Yeah. So much of it feels like They're trying to say women should have it all. They can have it all. But a lot of it feels like they're shaming, like, moms who choose to be stay-at-home moms. Like, they're always unhappy. Because Mm. even the other stay-at-home moms that you see that she's, like, friends with out in the suburbs all talk about how they're sexually unfulfilled. Or Mm. they dream about their ex-boyfriends. Or they miss working, but they can't go back to work. Or whatever. Like, all of them talk about all these, and they're like, But you just have to deal with it because look at everything you have. And it's like, well, you don't, though. Mm -hmm. You can talk about these things and you can find solutions to them that actually make you happy and not feel like you're being unfulfilled. Like, there is such a thing as as women who decide to be stay-at-home moms who are entirely fulfilled and so happy with that choice. Not a single one in this show is. Mm -hmm. The only people in this show that I saw that are, that seem genuinely fulfilled are her ex, like her previous advisor when she was in her PhD program, who is hyper non-monogamous. And Mm. that's like a big part of what he talks about with psychology and relationships. And that's a big, like part of his study is monogamy and non-monogamy and how to create a fulfilling, like long-term relationship, but they don't dig into it. Mm -hmm. They just briefly mention that's what he believes in, Mm -hmm. but he is a very happy long-term marriage. And then her single friend who is at the top of her field with work and has amazing boyfriends coming in and out when they're what she wants. She even at one point has a boyfriend who asks her like to marry him. Mm -hmm. And she has a discussion about whether it makes sense for her. She decides not to marry him and she's so happy and fulfilled with that choice. Mm -hmm. But everyone who is married and has kids and is monogamous is desperately and angrily unhappy 
Yeah. And I'm like, that feels not feminist to me. Like, you're yeah. very much shaming a traditional choice. And the point of feminism is that you should have that choice. Just like you should have the choice to be a working mom. Just like you should have the choice to be single and flirtatious for the rest of your life. Like, yeah. I think the thing is, like, you know, I think there's a particular feeling or or frustration that the creator is having here right and it's just like projecting on on too many of the characters or too many yes. things and this is the fantasy it's like how if you're having a sexless marriage how do you get out of that what's the thing and this is one of the fantasy it reminds me of us watching younger too yeah and they're like they're, they're looking for ways to get out of this problem of, of being a housewife being older and feeling unfulfilled it's like yeah. what do you do and and that's the thing know. i would have no problem if they were like if she actually openly discussed wanting to have an open marriage and a non-monogamous relationship or if they got divorced and she started dating a bunch of people like she does in younger like i don't think any of those things are problematic but mm. the fact that every married woman is yeah. like sexually repressed <laughs> that's fucked up to me at least have one happy like traditionally married woman to offset the amount of vitriol you have for like traditional marriage we've been and, and this whole weekend we yeah we've ended up talking a bunch about getting older and relationships and and whatnot relationships and stuff become so different as you get older you think something there? Yes. <laughs> 100%. But like, I mean, as I said yesterday, I have no issues with non-monogamy. And yeah, I think, yeah. No, I think but it that's would a, be yeah, interesting if that was a conversation they were having about polyamory or sexual experimentation. But even the one episode they have where they go to like a sex party, her mm. and her husband, is so toxic. There are elements of non-consensuality in this like sex party that are like just would never be used within like kink and BDSM communities where like... She's sobbing, clearly doesn't want to be there, and her husband is getting a blowjob from, like, their neighbor, oh, who is also his coworker and best friend's wife. Oh, my God. While he's staring at her and she's sobbing, wanting to leave, like, this is not what I'm looking for from our relationship. I need yeah. you to understand that. Um, and then she tries to leave on her own, and his friend, the husband of the chick who's blowing him starts hitting on her and she's like i want to leave she's sobbing he's like i can give you what you write about in your journals let me try and she's like get off me and then it turns into a fist fight in the middle of the sex party and i'm like you could have at least had the integrity to show an aspect of a non-monogamous community in like a moderately mm -hmm. positive light but really all you wanted to do was like justify cheating and not have a genuine conversation about like polyamory non-monogamy yeah. kink or sexual exploration. Like, none of this feels like a, you're having a genuine conversation about it. You're just a self-insert exploring your own yeah. problematic fantasy, and you want to justify that. And that's gross. You want to hate on monogamous couples, but not actually explore the elements of non-monogamy that are very healthy, have, like, mm -hmm. defined rules, and are interesting communities. Yeah. It would be cool, too, if it was, like, an actual explanation of uh, like one podcast I listened to is a guy who really he he was actively trying. He feels like he's internally like quite a monogamous person, but his partner was very polyamorous even before she met him. And just their exploration of all that kind of stuff in the ways that it actually exists and all stuff. He thought they set these things up fairly and everything like that, but it's just about his own internal choices and his own internal yeah. feelings towards it. And so that's a kind of interesting conversation to have of like experimenting with those things feeling frustrated and how do you navigate those things but if it's being dishonest from the get-go and being like this is all very actually the same with 50 shades of gray yeah um, exactly same, same with these things and it's like it's nice in a way that these things are finally being explored at all in the mainstream 
and it looked at all, but then you're all, you're having this first phase of stereotyping or not taking it seriously, or just thinking like what your fantasy of it is rather than how it actually is in yeah. the, in the real world. I don't know if it's as offensive as 50 shades was to the BDSM right. community, but I would imagine that there are a great many polyamorous people who would watch that and a great many like monogamous couples that are very satisfied and happy that mm-hmm. would be, you know, kind of offended by the perceptions of both the polyamorous and non-monogamous community, as well as the monogamous traditional marriage, stay-at-home mom kind of community. Like, it's just shitting on both sides. And really all she wants is to be able to, like, cheat with one specific person, but still have her perfect suburban life. And it's like, well, you actually had the opportunity to essentially (laughs) have that, and you were just entirely dishonest and unhappy with it because you like the taboo of it. Like, really, what you're exploring is the fantasy taboo of having, like, a mistress, more or less. Yeah. A mister. There's a good man yeah. word for it. The other man. Uh, yeah. Kept man. No, I, don't uh, I guess that's... But that's that's more of a... Yeah. Like, house husband. Yeah. Thing. Um, Trophy husband. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I haven't really finished much else at the moment. Um, I watched, because it's new on Amazon Prime, but not a new show, season one of the Nancy Drew show. The oh, new God. Nancy I did Drew not show. even see that come out. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, it's super fun. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I mean, it's very Riverdale-esque. Okay, well, You that's know, fine. like the mystery and the melodrama of teenage dumb mm. and stuff. I actually think it's far better written okay. than Riverdale. So what I didn't expect, because Nancy Drew is just you know, Nancy Drew solving mysteries around the town. Mm -hmm. But in this version, there's a lot of supernatural elements. Mm. So it ends up kind of being a mix of the TV show Supernatural, investigating all of these supernatural mysteries and vanquishing evil with Nancy Drew, the like teenage detective. That's cool. And it's a good mix for me. Like the acting is passably decent for a teen show. Um, They all look way older than 18, but you know, that's every Mm -hmm. teen show. So who cares? And there are, a few like moderately inappropriate relationships like one dude who's like 28 dating an 18 year old i don't love the energy from that but for the most part it's just i don't have a ton to say about it it's just genuinely fun and Mm -hmm. if you actually like riverdale even if you like it ironically which is me um (laughs) i think you probably really enjoy nancy drew because it is a better version of that it's less melodramatic Mm -hmm. it's more like Supernatural, the TV show, a little less ridiculous than the later seasons. And it's just fun. It's like a Monster of the Week kind of vibe. Um, and you get some like cool, you know, kind of East Coast Americana urban legends and folklore built mm-hmm. into it. And it's fun. All right. Well, I mean, that's everything I've got. Yeah. So should we... We didn't even no, slightly did mention not. what we we're not. doing today. So today is a retrospective on a new genre mm-hmm. of horror called analog horror, which is a genre really only available on YouTube. Yeah. Analog horror. I wish we had written the definition down better of it. It's when well, we remember something. So it's second person. Yes. So you, so there's, there's very rarely any characters like a, a classic example of it is like a news alert from like as though you're watching TV late at night and what yes. you're seeing is the actual like news or weather report or a commercial. Uh, things, yeah. 
Yeah, it's hard to explain. It's like, once you see the vibe, you very much get it when you're when you yeah. see it. Um, and it's interesting how like the different ones we're going to talk about use different things and like what all counts as analog. But it's pretty much always second person. There are characters sometimes, to be fair, in some of them, but it's very rare, and they're not given like storylines or lines so often. Yeah. So often. And a lot of the time when they're are characters they're either like unnamed yeah or if they are named they're like behind the camera so it's almost like you are that person like you're playing a first person shooter game and you're just like seeing from their viewpoint there's a big influence on analog horror from like the old school found footage movies right um and then a very popular youtube series called marble hornets which was a precursor to the slender man online creepypasta lore um, so if you've seen either, like, if you've seen the Blair Witch Project, if you've seen Marble Hornets, you've probably got a good idea of some of the elements that would lead into analog horror. But I will say, like, it's a very different vibe from Marble Hornets, because Marble Hornets is many, many episodes with one cohesive story and multiple characters, and you do right. get to know those characters. You don't have that necessarily in analog horror, but you will see elements in, in uh, Marble Hornets in particular, where there's, like audio reversed and you have to sort of decode the mystery of what that is or there'll yeah. be like binary coding on the screen and you have to figure out what that means or there'll be a random news bulletin that cuts in or hidden messages behind like a dark background that you have to brighten up your screen to see so those kinds of right. elements are what really directly influence analog horror yeah and so those come to from ARGs which is alternate reality games and apparently we didn't watch this one, but apparently there was a more ARG-like one first on YouTube where it's about the puzzles and the community coming together to figure out what's going yeah. on in the videos. I can't remember, was that, was that the CCHS or was that ECFA 1? Uh, one or the other, yeah. I forget. Okay. But yeah. Creepypasta, as you said, is an, is a huge influence, of that, course, that yes. feeling. Yeah, and, and I mean, one of the ones we're going to be talking about today was, was, was created by... A very popular creepypasta writer who wrote a particular creepypasta called Candle Cove. Right. Hugely popular on um, Reddit and the creepypasta website. It was actually adapted into a season, uh, the first season of the television show um, Channel Zero. Yeah, which we loved. Love. And the practical effects in the Candle Cove season, bar none, better than all the other seasons, even though I do think the story is more interesting in some of the later seasons. That creepypasta really lends itself to the eeriness of your imagination. And I feel like one of the ones that we're going to talk about today is probably the most influential, one Mm -hmm. of the earlier examples of an analog horror. And it really, almost every other analog horror you watch is so heavily influenced. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, and the other one is like, um, I, I never played it, but I've heard so much about it, but it's that same type of community behind Five Nights at Freddy's and this yeah. idea of like playing this game where there's all sorts of hidden lore. And this is, um, we watched a couple of video essays about analog horror and whatnot. And one, and one of the things I agree with is this idea that analog horror, especially the best ones, follow a specific kind of narrative structure. You could say it's the three-act structure, but you notice this where it's like, What's the world? Are we watching a news bulletin? Are we watching a, are we in a video game? Whatever. Establish. Everything is mostly normal with a bit of a obvious, like something weird is going on here. Right. Yeah. Then you get to the middle where you notice that things are effed up. Like something is definitely creepy. Something is, 
and then there's a huge climax and uh, like here's the big reveal of yeah. this. It's not so much that there's hidden stuff in between it though. Sometimes things go really fast. Sometimes there's little things like that, but you could just pause and find it, right? It's not as though you have to rewind the video and go over seven times to figure out yeah. all the different portions. You kind of get the atmospheric vibe and the horror. Yes. That's what these things are excellent at, to get that vibe. To get the horror, like there are mystery in a lot of them that if you want to dig into the lore, you want to get right. into the community, you absolutely can. But to just enjoy the horror vibe, you don't have to like reverse the audio on things. You don't have yes. to do like decode um base 64 but if you want to be part of that community and part of that mystery solving you absolutely can choose to go that route i think there really is if you're a horror mystery lover there really is something for everybody to get Mm -hmm. out of analog horror and what i think is interesting and apart from the found footage thing the other influence i really see from blair witch project is this like really brand new version of guerrilla marketing that blair witch project did when it originally came out in 99 um is so similar to this like scavenger hunt mystery solving that a lot of these analog horrors do where you have to decode things go to secret websites go to forums because that's exactly what Blair Witch Project did it marketed itself as an actual documentary of footage that was found by people who went missing and there were like forums for with missing posters and tip lines you could call and hidden websites that you had to decode things to get to this was so new in an age where like the internet was really nascent for like the average everyday user to do this level of like Mm -hmm. mystery solving guerrilla marketing online entirely and it's so similar to what a lot of these analog horrors do, where there's like broken website links that you have to put together and right. um, code that you have to break and audio tracks that you have to reverse to be able to figure out what's being said and stuff like that. That's really the big influence I get from Blair Witch Project. There's a couple videos here and there in the analog horrors we watched that have like that found that true found footage feel. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, they really don't feel like a found footage movie. Like it's like an actual documentary or something Mm -hmm. and you find a tape, but that guerrilla marketing aspect that goes hand in hand with early found footage and like the mystery behind found footage, that is what's so good in analog horror. Mm -hmm. So the first one we watched, which was sort of famous and sort of started, sparked the whole genre. It's really the cutoff point. True analog. Yeah, is Local 58. It is a series of six videos around three minutes each. Little, yeah, little bit three of to six minutes each. Yeah. There was a season one and season two, and apparently they came out over the course of like a long period of time. We watched them all like right away, so we really got this yeah. condensed experience. But yeah, what did you think of them? I loved Local 58 of all the ones we watched. I mean, the other ones we watched, there were elements of them that I really enjoyed, but mm-hmm. Local 58 worked really, really effectively for me yeah. because even though each video is a really like independent, super short movie, there's a common thread between them of like that creates a sort of world building of what the like monster or entity or like horror element is in mm-hmm. that region that local 58 is coming out of. Um, so local 58 is a local in, in this world of analog horror. It's a local television station. Mm-hmm. It starts out with a sort of like weather bulletin. And then goes from there, but it's all in this same localized region because it's a local television station. So everything bad that's happening is happening in this region. And I think it's interesting that even though not all of the videos connect, 
you have that common thread of it being the same like county Mm -hmm. that's being affected by whatever like sort of insidious force is coming in and i like that i like that there's a bit of world building even though it's super sort of it takes a back seat it's not important but it creates a cohesion for me yeah you know right away you could see the vibe and you could see the feeling of this nostalgia that I think especially what Local 58 was getting at was that feeling of you're watching television late at night to go to bed yeah. and like something like infomercials would turn and it's on your local or, TV station. Yeah. So sometimes the air just goes dead and you have like the snow or that color block thing, the signal test um, screen that pops up really late at night when there's no more programming. Yeah. yeah I've, I've definitely seen that for like tornado warnings and like uh mm-hmm inclement weather and so they do a good job of using those noises using that nostalgia using that feeling to evoke in the first one for example this this seemingly fight between two entities of some sort yeah battling over the station of like warning you to look outside and look at the moon or to don't look outside and that it's really yeah. dangerous and it, the, the vibe is mysterious enough and interesting enough thing whereas so many of the derivative ones the problem was always that because you already knew about other ones that have done this, yes. you kind of got this feeling of like, I, it's too obvious what you're doing or too yeah. things. Whereas these first ones that you're encountering, you're like, what is happening? Like what's going on in these different encounters? And like, what am I, what am I feeling like being here as the second person getting totally. this information? And I think, you know, you made a, you made an interesting point where we were talking about it yesterday while we were still going through everything that this kind of analog horror can exist in real life because there have been cases of local television stations or news bulletins or um, emergency bulletins being hacked and having like either going out live when they shouldn't have to create a panic or being changed to look silly or insidious or weird. So this, this has happened. There's been a few cases of it happening and I completely forgot I work in cybersecurity and I completely Mm -hmm. forgot that this was a thing that happened. And I think it was interesting that you brought that up because even though, you know, it is a little ostentatious, like don't look at the moon, do look at the moon. There's an element that's rooted in reality where like, you know, that this kind of hacking can happen. So it feels kind of almost a little scarier that even though, you know, you're not afraid of the moon, it creates a distrustfulness that feels very rooted in reality where like, I don't know if this is coming from like an outside hacking force and the actual government. I don't know who to listen to. Should I look outside? Should I not look outside? What's the good bulletin? And that feels very rooted in reality. The cutting edge of horror is often connected to things we're actually concerned about and fear in our everyday life today. And I think there is a dis like, this is, there's a lot of American influence here, right? There is a distrust of the government and not knowing what the government's up to, you know, alien abductions and uh, horror and that world is often connected with the the 70s fear of the government and like yeah. government experimentation and, and whatnot, all that connection, you know, the X-Files and, and these things. And so that fear connected with a lot of these creepypastas and stuff that we now have today, it makes for an interesting new level of horror. And, mm-hmm. you know, when The Ring came out, when uh, new slashers come out, when, when new areas of horror come out it's always so cool because it's a fresh experience and actually i do want to bring up one that i liked i think it was like, sort of when we ended off on was one that was really effective for me was the back rooms the video we yes, watched the, like end. luminal space or yeah is i love liminal? liminal space liminal yeah space. so there's a new idea another influence on the stuff is this liminal space idea of 
these nostalgic fears we have of spaces like Imagina, you know, these arcade places and those weird laser tag places yeah. too. And they have very particular kind of um, patterns and stuff on them. But if you remove all the people, especially the people, but usually most of the stuff too, yeah. and just see the raw one, there's some weird sense of horrific, almost apocalyptic nostalgia there that brings us into this weird headspace that's very hard to explain. You can look up these spaces for yourself yeah. to get it's it. It's like old abandoned theme parks where yes. like the, like forest has grown into it yeah. but all of the equipment is still there there's something very eerie and haunting and disquieting about it yeah. um and same with like abandoned malls oh right the pictures you can find online of abandoned malls where like vines and dirt and leaves have all grown in and like the shops are bare but all the signage is still there mm -hmm. and there's like mannequins toppled over it's so unsettling because yeah. it feels so familiar and then so detached from humanity at the same time. Yes. And so that sense, the back rooms is a really cool variation on that, where it talks about this idea that is true in video games is that often what you can do is you can fall out of the world in a video game. So a video game is sort of built in this certain world. And then if you if your character accidentally like touches a wall or touches the floor the wrong way, they'll, the character will fall out yeah. of the world. And it's just this giant black or white space, totally empty outside of it, right? The back rooms has this idea of like, what if in real life you hit that, you hit that edge and you fall into the back rooms of reality, almost like we're in the matrix. You fall into the, the further back areas. And there's this whole mythology that then is talked about in this, about levels zero through three, about these zero different. Zero through two. Well, he said that because no one gets to three and he yeah. said three is for another video. Right. Okay. You're right. Yeah. Um. So, but in, in video one, he talks uh, level zero, just being this infinite repetition of this strange liminal space yellow wallpaper type place and where you're seeing the doorways and it's exactly that you can see maybe three rooms ahead but no more through the doors yeah. and it's just this infinite repeating pattern but he says that there's also these creatures every once in you know a day of walking you might encounter one of these creatures um, which are like kind of humanoid kind of crawling Very on the ground reminiscent of um if you've seen the movie the descent right the creatures that she runs into in the caves um, and yeah. honestly, the descent gives me the same kind of feeling. It's it's almost a borderline claustrophobia, you know. Yeah. Even though even though in this back rooms, you know, it's it's lit up. There's there yeah. is lighting, and it's that you know annoying buzzing yeah. fluorescent. Um, fluorescent lighting, uh, like an office building. But it is still there's something so claustrophobic about constant repetitious hallways, mm -hmm. even though it's not necessarily a tight space. And then these particular creatures that are very similar in you know sort of appearance and affectation of the ones in the descent yeah and should be mentioned that that backrooms isn't a technical analog horror because it's just a guy explaining with pictures yes, what this thing yeah. looks like but it's still another thing that connects this it's sort of a, it's, it's a little more of a creepy pasta no sleep type yeah. online lore i but guess it, but it was very effective for me and going through the different levels and the types of horse and and just the sense of what we're talking about with new levels of horror, new facets of it. And another one that did well for this was, we'll get to it, but in the Minerva archives, when the, another sort of creepypasta type story that we just uh, listened through audio tapes. Yes. Um, that one gives more of a uh, Blair Witch Project feel because while it's it's not a visual medium, it is a found footage in the fact that it's, it's found audio recordings of somebody who is hiking the Appalachian Trail. Mm-hmm. 
and more or less gets lost. And it's sort of, I mean, it's not so much that there's a witch haunting him, but he ends up getting lost in what appears to be an alternate universe version of this Appalachian Trail where there yeah. is no society. There are no other people. He's alone there. Yeah. Um, Similar to the back rooms. Yes. So it's sort of a mix of the two, I yeah. would say. But it, it is interesting. I, I don't think that worked as well for me, despite my love of found footage and how effective uh-huh. I find it. The voice acting just wasn't that great. Yeah. So it, it sort of took me out of it a little bit. But the story conceptually was really interesting. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's kind of like watching Gilmore Girls. Like, no 18-year-old speaks the way he does or has the cadence that he does in this story. So that's a bit unfortunate. But it was an interesting series of tapes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like the vibe of the backrooms. And as so the first level being like this, or level zero being this, uh, yellow wallpapers and repetition and this horror of um, these creatures. And actually what I thought about with the creatures is I like that they didn't quite explain it, but it's like, you almost think like, well, that could just be people who've been lost for so long yes. that they become sort of these feral creatures in there. And I love when things kind of like, I love this idea of the horror, not that there really exists these other creatures, but rather that the place itself or this weirdness itself creates creature yeah, creates horrors. And yeah. Another one, you yeah, have it on the bookshelf probably, that I've talked about before, but House that Leaves, the book, is it's very good at this feeling. One of my favorite things about, about this house, which has these excess rooms that come out of nowhere and, yeah. and, and and it's a whole other dimension. And it's very hard nowadays because there is so few places in the world which feel still shrouded in the unknown, still shrouded in darkness. And some of these analog horrors bring that the Marianas Trench comes up. Deep Sea is a big one. Space yeah. is a big theme Space, that yeah. comes up often in analog Be- horrors. Because we're they're still trying to find things that are still like unknown to us or have that yeah. sense to us. And then of course, but. deep in the woods and like yeah. abandoned buildings are always big in analog horror. And then the obvious one that comes up frequently that makes some of these feel derivative is those news bulletins, emergency yeah. alerts, uh, weather bulletins, stuff like that. And some of them are great, even if they are derivative. One that worked really well for me and i can't remember if it was local 58 or gemini but it was the american commercial thing that ends up being an alert Do you remember the american flag is going mm-hmm. and it's an alert like we've been invaded i think that was a local 58 that one was so unsettling to me because of the twist in yeah. it because i really felt like it was going in a purge direction and yeah. i'm like yeah clearly obviously yeah, especially this- because it's leaning into the like hyper nationalism of america i totally thought it was going to be take up arms go out to the streets and the twist is so much more disquieting and yeah. unsettling because it feels like a true like giving up thing yeah that is so dissonant from like the americana hyper nationalism that's frequently featured in media and the cycle lot like a bunch of them have this like psychological conditioning feel, which I think works really effectively as a second person thing mm-hmm. where they're like, Oh, we're going to get you sleep training and we got to get rid of those bad dreams. Yeah. And stuff like you don't need dreams anymore. And just that feeling that like, honestly, when one of them was doing the actual like test or the actual, it's like, I almost thought like, what if this actually does have an effect? Like what if you're actually yeah. do like it's, it can be very freaky as, in the second person spot. Unsettling imagery too. Yeah. Yeah. Those ones were really cool. And like, I don't know. I want to get into Gemini because I, yeah. I even though yeah. Local 58 is very much like the template yeah. for analog horror currently, I found Gemini Home Entertainment the more effective. And maybe it's because there were more videos. There was mm-hmm. a lot, like there was just a lot more it, happening. There's more of a world to it. Yes, it, it felt more universe building. Yeah. 
there were a lot of like you could tell there were different themes to it that were very interconnected there's a common thread through most of these videos and like the different companies that pop up in the alerts yeah keep like cropping up and they seem connected in some way that's very insidious and you don't totally understand but it makes you want to be part of this like community Mm -hmm. and start digging into it so that i found overall much more effective in both the like community mystery creation Mm -hmm. And just in the horror, because it it had more common threads, it was less standalone. But Joe and I, like, I don't even know how to describe it because there's so many videos. Yeah, well, just to compare the two, like, I think my position on, like, Local 58, as single videos you're watching, like, some of those powerful, like, great feelings. Yeah, that even that, very much that first one of uh, Local 58 is just, it's so effective. And it is really the template of the perfect version of that thing. And there's a lot in Gemini, which... A lot of single videos, which I found not so effective, but they were trying to be creative. They're trying to do yes. different things. And so some of them didn't work as well for me, but that's, you know, what it is. Same with Minerva Archives, especially had a lot of duds for me. Yeah, I agree with um, that. They kind of became too hokey, too jokey. I couldn't take it seriously. I as for. But Gemini had about 20 to 24-ish videos, something yeah, like that. It's a good chunk. And you were exploring through all sorts of different media all sorts of and they're all vhs tapes of different things yes, which i love i love that yeah. idea and like the local 58 thing is cool that it feels like a real yeah. you know television thing the gemini home entertainment it feels like a vhs box set that would have been advertised on like late night tv infomercials or like the shopping channel you know and you would go to like sears and you'd see it on the shelf and be like oh you know, it's a whole box set of home entertainment. I'm going to grab this. Especially when you look at, like, the highlights of what's through it. Like, there's, like, you know, artistry and, like, surviving the storms and mm-hmm. um, safety tips for hiking and, all like, where to go camping and mm-hmm. um, family vacations and just all these things that, like, people would purchase from an infomercial on TV. Like, we want to do a, ha- a hiking trip. We should totally buy this VHS about hiking and camping tips to get the family ready and just the graininess and the real like tangible physical quality of a VHS harkens so much back to my childhood Mm -hmm. um, that it worked really well for me. I think a really good example of it was this one where they tell you about the storm coming and they're like, okay, so your option is you got to build a storm shelter. And it gets, it starts giving you these really specific instructions, like it has to yep. be this large and pour concrete. And, and you're like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. And then they're like, and then you put in a, like an aluminum dome of this size in the middle. You're like, what? And then they're like, and then a short rate wave radio exactly this far apart. And you're like, okay. Yep. And then you're like, we're not going to explain why you need all these things. Just make sure it's all there. But then they kind of do when yeah. they're like, when the storm comes, right. Um, get into your shelter, get in the basement that you won't survive if you don't Yeah. turn on your shortwave radio, but don't listen to anything on the radio. Yeah, it's all auditory hallucinations. Yeah, yeah. You'll hallucinate mm-hmm. or whatever. When you hear the chime, it's safe to come outside. Yeah. Look to the fields. Do you see lights? Get back in your shelter. Yeah. It's like really Weird, specific, just otherworldly enough. Mm-hmm. It's like so close to reality. And it starts out, and this is the classic with analog horror, right? It it starts out so deeply rooted in reality. You're like, mm-hmm. okay, storms, how to survive like a hurricane. Go to your basement. If you have a storm shelter, go in there. Here's how you build a storm shelter. And you're like, okay, this feels very 
true to form. And then it's explaining what to do during and after the storm. And you're like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, what is this? And it gets more and more otherworldly and disturbing. Um, And that's where you start pulling in the elements of horror. It's like just inhuman enough. It's, it's, I don't know. It's like the nature version of the uncanny Valley effect almost. I think too, it's like, I like the, the distrust. And even after finishing that whole video, you're not sure who's giving you the right advice or bad advice. Like, cause it seems like the, if you see the lights go back in your shelter, that's a way to protect yourself. And like, that seems hard. Like, even if it was like the aliens or the creatures telling you to make this storm shelter, then you're like, well, then why would they want you to save you from the lights or whatever? Like what's, yeah. who's giving that advice or what's that thing? But at the same time, the stuff you're doing does not seem correct in the no, storm shelter don't itself. listen to your shortwave, like have a shortwave radio, but don't listen to it. Anything you hear is an auditory hallucination. And that comes up a lot in the Gemini home entertainment. You can't trust your own eyes or what you right. hear. It's all hallucinatory. So you don't actually know if this advice is good and you shouldn't trust what you're hearing or if the advice is terrible and you should trust what you hear because it's, you know, monsters or warnings or whatever. So you end up in this space where you're like, well, I don't know what to do now. I'm stuck. On the other hand, like, I think like a bad example of one was this one about earthquakes and they just Mm -hmm. basically admit they're like, there's tremor worms. Yeah. It it really felt like they were doing like the analog horror version of tremors. And I'm like, well, we already have tremors. And and they (laughs) they just admit it, what it is at the end and just do it. And it's like, you're not getting that sense of like distrust or no. or confusion. And that's what helps yeah. to really get that sense of alienation, uncanny valley. The one that I did was, love though, mm-hmm. was the video game one. Yeah. Just a, from the sheer talent of it. Like it really felt like, like an actual late nineties, early two thousands computer game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called lethal. What is it? Lethal Omens. Omen. And it ties in two or three different companies yeah. You hear from earlier, so it ties in the storm shelter thing that from that video. It ties in the Regnad computers uh, because it was created by Regnad computers and the very creepy AI stuff yeah. that they put in, which so effective today mm-hmm. because you've got this like retro futurism vibe going on with analog horror. Yeah, and AI is such like a poignant part in our history right now um, that it creates an interesting dynamic. And the video game feels like something you would have played as a kid Mm -hmm. and then these like just vaguely disturbing elements start happening where it's like this feels like it could happen a real video game but because you've had all of the setup of these other uncanny valley just outside of reality distrust the government videos that Mm -hmm. set it up you're like what the fuck is this video game it feels like it's trying to condition me or like Bring me into like a, a cult or something. It's mm-hmm. so weird. Well, and it puts together so many of the creatures and ideas that we saw from previous ones. Yes. Um, like we haven't even talked about how so the Gemini home entertainment symbol is a planet, which we learn is like Neptune. Yes. And how there's like this exploration of the solar system and then there's like this extra planet. And it's very bizarre looking and, and well, doing and stuff. One theme that crops up often is the solar system space in general, but Neptune itself, when you first do your, like, this is the solar system Mm -hmm. video in Gemini Home Entertainment, it goes through each planet, super normal with the sun, normal with Mercury, Venus, Earth's a little weird, Mars is fine, Jupiter, Saturn, a little Mm -hmm. goofy, but normal. But Neptune, it starts out normal as, like, it's a nice giant, whatever. And then it 
says like Neptune has mutated or something. Mm-hmm. It has begun. Uh, the iris is real or whatever. The yeah. iris watches you or something. Yeah. And you're like, what? What? And that theme comes up often. And the fact that the symbol for Gemini Home Entertainment, the symbol on the box set, the symbol that comes up every single video is Neptune. And in some videos, Neptune is distorted or like the video file is corrupted over where Neptune is or the colors change of it. It seems like this common theme Mm -hmm. that the eye of the storm on Neptune is something otherworldly. Yeah. And so you're trying in your mind to like connect up all these different things, this storm shelter and the creatures and these you find out about these imposter human and humanoid type things. Yeah. Um, the deep root rot thing oh God. freaked me That's out terrifying. so bad. And it feels like related to the Neptune and the yeah. Iris stuff. So it's like, there's some kind of an alien invasion that's related to the storms and related to the um, distorted messages and the creatures that are coming. And then this deep root rot. And it starts off like a plant video Mm -hmm. and it looks like it's teaching you about gardening and about like root rot, which is a real thing that can happen to your plants. And you're like, okay, how to spot root rot. And then it's when the roots reach a bone Mm -hmm. and how they attach to it. And it digs in deeper, how to diagnose deep root rot. Um, like these bulbs on the skin surface and it ends up being like almost this body snatchers type thing. You're like, what the fuck was this? And it doesn't come back up until like five or six videos later. And you actually see what full blown deep root rot looks like on Mm -hmm. a person. And it is so disturbing looking Yeah, like that really got me Mm -hmm. the follow through on it to bring it up just like a plant gardening video um and only have it right at the tail end that it's related to bone and tissue and then five six seven videos later you show an example of it is so great like that Mm -hmm. follow through the cohesion of the universe works so effectively when you see the space travel there's a planet that like the drone goes into that almost looks similar to the deep root rot that you see in people so you're wondering if this is coming from space and then you see the full-blown not partial not somebody who just has the beginnings of it but what it looks like when it's completely taken over yeah it's so effective and so disturbing looking yeah it's connected to so many things that we have we care about like this like like how popular conspiracy theories and like connections to like is it lizard people is it these things and those are all connected to p- political stuff and none of these videos are really political but well i mean they're not not political though because so many of these are government agencies that's true but like um, bulletins they're not, yeah. or uh cia drops and stuff like so some of these are genuinely like coming from government agencies or maybe yeah, they're, they're political not in that sense but they're not like um they don't feel like they're trying to dunk on the libs or no but it does feel like a general unease in your own government yeah um and then in that other thing and you're like i don't know what to trust exactly and you know with the um the computer thing right it took me a a little bit with those videos to surfing and so but it's it is connected to that the solar system and this idea that maybe the aliens are the, the ai wasn't really made correctly it's just that it's connecting to a signal 
Yeah, sort. and there's and there's a, a couple videos on the signal thing, right? Yeah. Like you have the signal one where at the end of that video they're like we that we have made great advancements in our AI thanks to our client and we hope to meet right, our client, client in yes. seven months. And you're like, is the client an alien? Is that what like the AI is trying to connect to or has successfully connected to? And the client, the alien is like manipulating these like um, scientists into causing an invasion. And then you get a little further and you see this, like drone, which we've put on, you know, we've put drones on Mars, et cetera, mm-hmm. but this like drone that's taking photos of space. Yeah. And it's going around the soul, like certain areas of our solar system, taking photos of different planets and moons. Um, so it's doing specifically Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune, mm-hmm. and taking photos of the planets and the moons. And then it gets to Neptune and this drone gets lost trying to make its return trip. And goes into like gets pulled into a gravitational pull starts seeing moons that are distorted mutated versions of the moons that we know around these planets and then new moons that we've never heard of and then gets pulled into the gravitational pull of this planet you can't tell what planet it is it goes into an iris Mm -hmm. recurring theme so that made me think maybe it's neptune because neptune is mutated Mm -hmm. um, and all these moons are mutated around it gets pulled into this iris and it almost becomes like a biological network where it's got like an esophagus and a sphincter and a like respiratory system and everything inside it that this drone is taking photos of looks very similar to what we've seen of the deep root rot at that point. And then the drone gets lost for seven months. So there's no pictures and all of a sudden it turns back up heading to earth. Mm -hmm. You're like, what the fuck? happened and we find out you know that this drone was sent by regnad computers which is the company that was creating the ai Mm -hmm. it was the company that was creating the sleep thing which was like the neurological net similar to what elon musk is trying to do and it's it's also the company that was doing the signals and that it was hoping to meet its client in seven months and this drone gets lost for seven months in a video that is seven minutes long. Mm -hmm. So like this recurring theme of space and aliens and invasions and insidious AI and and technological companies. And I think that works really well because although it is so otherworldly and so ostentatious, there is an element that's rooted in reality because we do have a genuine fear of things like AI. There are a lot of people who are afraid of technological advancements. Space is such an unknown that we totally do not understand and freaks a lot of people out. So there are a lot of elements here that come together to create both mystery and, and horror. Yep. And I do, I am a little sick of like how much they, uses influence of Lovecraftian and even the word and whatnot. Yeah. I do think there is more potential for the genre and like that things could move into different directions. It always feels like it's these tentacle monster alien things. I agree. But um, I agree. One thing I did yeah, like about you know Gemini Home Entertainment is that there were a lot of different types of monsters. Yeah. Even though they did all have sort of a Lovecraftian look to them. They were all different. You know, there was a lot of cephalopod influence, which, you know, there are a lot of creepy deep sea cephalopods, so that works really well. And then there were some monsters that looked like regular animals and had been sort of taken over by something. And that really leans into the thing 
that movie, yep. especially like the special effects on the dog where it ends up really mutated, but you can still tell it used to be a dog. The nature one specifically with the bear where suddenly mm-hmm. it's got these tentacles coming out of it. So I do agree. Like I am a little tired of Lovecraft. I like that there weren't too like there weren't really any videos where they mentioned Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unlike Minerva yeah. archives, which mentions it fucking near constantly, and that's a bit exhausting. You know, I think that's kind of why you know even though Channel Seven felt very derivative of Local Fifty Eight, mm-hmm. there were elements there with the interloper and stuff that weren't Lovecraftian, mm-hmm. you know, but were still otherworldly or other dimensional. Yeah. Um, and, and a little more uncanny Valley, right? It's the faceless sort of silhouette of looks like a person, but there's something about it that feels wrong. I love that feeling. Yeah. Well, and that, I mean, people, I mean, it's just Slender Man, like is the influence. There. I mean, yeah. Um, In fairness to yeah. local 58, it came Oh, no, sorry. That This is Marble Hornets. Marble Hornets mm-hmm. is very much just Slender Man, but it came before Slender Man, so mm-hmm. at least there's that. But the um, interloper does look exactly like Slender Man. Yeah, so overall, I think the genre is really hitting on something cool. It feels unique. It's definitely like a collection of influences and just yes. naturally came out of them. But often that's where the best stuff happens, right? It, it's Things don't come out of nowhere, and that's fine. Yeah, um, As long as things are evolving. And yeah, I thought there's some really cool stuff out there. I agree. And I think there's a lot of potential here for, for creativity, right? I mean, clearly huge Lovecraft influence. And then local 58 is really the template um, for a lot of these, but it opens up a lot of opportunity for new creativity for like young or unestablished creators, like some of the talent that yeah. ha- that went into Gemini home entertainment specifically is just so impressive because it, it crosses a lot of different mediums. You know, like he's using mm-hmm. animation, he's using practical effects, he's using camcorders, he's using stock footage. There's a lot that he's doing here and a lot of experimentation. So it almost feels borderline avant-garde at times mm-hmm. um, and art housey in certain elements. And I think that's really interesting. You know, it, they're really doing something different here. So while not all of it works, it's cool to see the creativity kind of unleashed. And I love that about just genre movies and and genre shows and stuff there's there's a lot more experimentation yeah and i think that's really interesting and we're very much very much in the experimental phase of analog horror because it is so nascent yeah and it'll be really interesting to see what it develops into yeah and i mean i think almost coming at it that we knew about this term we knew there's a bunch on youtube is almost a mistake in a way like if you connect it with creepypasta you connect it with audio tapes or like not sound audio, like, footage um, audio dramas audio dramas right like yeah. the, the fact that these things can connect across so many different mediums genres um it can be you know links from links to things or you know you go down a reddit rabbit hole in the yeah. community and what and that is almost a probably a better way to do it like where you don't know i was almost saying it's like it would be cool if we could like on the youtube like just whatever videos next right just go yeah. for it because if you know exactly what you're going for each time, each thing, and you're like, and you're, this is canonical, this is non-canonical, yeah. you get the sense in which it's not that deep dive, it's not that being sucked into the back rooms sort of feeling. Yeah, it's not as conspiracy theorist. Like, right. we definitely went at it with, like, a critical, kind yeah. of, like, a critique bent, and I think if you're interested in getting in this into this genre, and you just want to get into it for the sake of getting into it, and not to critique it as a new element of horror, um, or horror film... 
then I think the right way to do it is exactly what you're saying. You know, like just go on YouTube, search analog horror and start watching stuff and get into what you get into. Go yeah. on Reddit and search analog horror, go on the threads, go on to the um, Gemini home entertainment, G hate like R slash G H E Reddit thread and just start doing deep dives and get into the conspiracy of it and the mystery of it and the community building of it. And you'll probably get enveloped in a way that's different than what we pulled out of it. But if you do want to take a little bit more of an academic tilt to it, if you do want to discover mm -hmm. this as a new element of horror genre and like watch it grow and see what it turns into, then, you know, watch it canonically, watch it the way we did and, and watch the video essays we watched. Yep. Yeah. It was a really cool time. Very cool new thing and uh, first time doing YouTube videos as a... As a main theme, yeah. Main theme. Yeah. So that was kind of fun and interesting and very different, especially because they're so bite-sized. Mm -hmm. um, we were able to basically just spend an afternoon on it yeah. and get through a ton, which again helped with you know the critiquing and, and really understanding the genre. Highly recommend, especially if you're already oh, yeah. into... Um, like audio drama podcasts, like the No Sleep podcast, the Black Tapes, Tannins, for the like mystery and community building of those audio dramas. I think that's, you know, if that's what you're into, you're going to love this genre mm -hmm. for the community, the mystery, the discussions. You're going to absolutely adore it. And if you just love horror, this is an interesting new type. It's yep. so new. It started in what? What did they say? Twenty seventeen. It's so so nascent. Yep. So I think there's a lot of potential here, and it could fall flat on its face. But I would love to see what this looks like in five years. For sure. Hmm. Well, thank you for listening <laughs> to us. Yeah. Um, if you I thought you were thanking me for a second, I'm like, oh, you're welcome. Yeah. No. Okay. No, thank you. Oh God. Um, <laughs> But no, thank you for listening um, and indulging our, you know, YouTube exploration. Uh, you can reach out to us on Twitter at mm -hmm. FansLabPod. We're also on, you know, pretty much all other social medias, Instagram, uh, TikTok. We're not on Facebook. Don't try and find us there. Reach out to us. Talk to us if you're interested in analog horror, audio drama horror. Uh, you've got recommendations for us. Please yeah. let us know because I would love to, you know, ingratiate myself more into this community. And thanks for listening. Yeah, you know? thanks for listening. Right. Bye. Bye.